Hello, Earthlings, and welcome to another episode of the Selby is Godcast alongside TJ Zuppi. I'm Zach Meisel. TJ, it's November. Baseball is far away. Baseball is over for 2019. The hell are we doing here? Well, first of all, we're an really annoying anybody that happens to be listening outside of our planet. Apologies. Could or be. if they wait until November's over. Apologies That's for that. That's true. Our, our Martian friends, or as we beam this into outer space, Ooh. we could be making contact, and the first thing they hear is something offensive to them. That leads me to a lot of questions. Like, why are we here? What is the purpose of life? What is the universe? How did it start? It always was, and always will be. What is time? Time is a construct in our head. Agreed. That we, that we made up to help interpret things happening. They say the universe is always expanding, but what's it expanding into? Itself. Uh, explain that. It's expanding into itself. That seems pretty What happens when we die? We go to a better place, and that better place does not feature any episodes of the Selby's Godcast, nor this intro, which has been totally, totally terrible, but we do welcome you into a new week. So what's on your mind, man? What are you, what, what <laughs> I are just you, told what are you. What you chewing on? What are you thinking about? How are you getting your, yourself through this disgusting month that's ahead where it's not quite the holidays, so you don't get to slack off and enjoy that part of your Well, I'm going on vacation, yet. so I don't know. I, I don't care. Where are you going? Got a little trip to Vegas. Got a lengthy trip to Maui. And I might not come back. So you're pretty much guaranteeing the Indians aren't going to do anything this offseason. Yeah, it's... I'm taking a risk. Chris Antonetti, I know you're listening. You've got like a two-week stretch in November where I will not be paying attention to you. So go make your moves during that stretch. (laughs) Uh, Well, if you'd like to catch this on a weekly basis, we do encourage you to do that. You can subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. And really any place you listen to your podcast, you can find us. You can also follow at TJ Zuppi, at Zach Meisel on the Twitters, and at Selby's Godcast. And if you'd like to slide into our DMs, we do welcome it. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can find the links there at Selby's Godcast. We have a a pretty large handful of people that help uh, bring this every single week, and we do thank them that have helped uh, support this podcast. We say this occasionally. It's just Zach and I on our own free time doing this, and we do appreciate anybody that helps make this thing happen. So because of you guys that were here, we are presented by you. Yeah, and thank you to those who have shared some ideas on what you want us to talk about. Not that we're too lazy to come up with our own topics, but we want to know what's on your mind. I'll tell the truth. I'm way too lazy. (laughs) We want to cater this toward what you guys are interested in. So uh, to those who have reached out, know that we have read them talked about discussing them in the future and we will do so a lot of good ideas when things get slow we will drop into the the mailbag of discussion topics and one we actually slow yet one we actually got was someone wanting us to break down the coaching staff dynamic discuss a little bit about tito maybe what the fans are van berkleo (laughs) what the fans are missing and every time the indians drop down a bunt they start screaming why they shouldn't be screaming. I don't know. You are pretty much leading that charge when it does happen. But it is 
topical because just before the weekend, the Indians finally announced their coaching staff, some of their changes, Scott Atchison not coming back, and a couple of guys sliding into some new roles. You tweeted about it a little bit, you've written about it a little bit, but for those that were you know, maybe spending some time with their family or cleaning up their leaves this weekend, what was some of your initial thoughts on some of the the new movement on the Indians coaching staff? Let's get that out of the way. So I think we discussed this a little bit before, but it is typical protocol to ask at the exit interviews at the end of the year where the media meets with Terry Francona, Chris Antonetti, and Mike Chernoff. We always ask. This is a different, by the way, just to pull back the curtain a little bit more, this is a different meeting than you see streamed on the radio or on television. There are different questions. It's a different setting with the writers compared to the broadcast media. Baseball still does this a little differently than other sports. Uh, And I think the writers like it this way. So a lot of what is discussed in some of this exit interview stuff is people didn't get to hear this necessarily. Uh, Maybe they were listening on the radio or whatnot, just to kind of provide some more information. Well, so I I asked Tito, it's a customary question every year, and I said, do you expect your entire coaching staff to return? And he said, no, except for... He said, there's there's one guy who will not. And I <laughs> I kept staring at him like, are you going to tell us who that is? And he finally said, Scott Atchison. And then I had to ask, can you tell us why? Like, it was almost like he was unprepared. It was really strange. Um, and basically, like, like, what I had heard was, because remember two years ago, they got rid of Jason Beret, and the reason was... They didn't want to lose Scott Atchison. And the famous quote that we kind of poked fun at afterwards was, it's not what Jason Beret didn't do, it's what Scott Atchison does. And Atchison became the bullpen coach, whatever. Do we even know what bullpen coaches do? I remember asking Atchison once, and he basically said he answers the phone and makes sure <laughs> pitchers aren't, their arms aren't falling off when they're warming up. Like, it's, it's actually on the field, like during a game, how much are they doing? Probably very little. It is. It's the prep, and it's the stuff you're doing to help the other coaches and all the pitchers before games that that you really make your impact. But anyway, what I had heard was a lot of the reason why they dismissed Atchison was because they wanted Brian Sweeney and Ruben Niebla to have roles on the team. And they're, they're two guys who they're both have fully embraced advanced statistics and metrics and analytics and and two guys who like Ruben Niebla a year ago was a finalist for the Rangers pitching coach job like there was a chance they were going to lose him and in the last week of the season um because Niebla visited Cleveland um had a lot of coaches there the last homestand the last weekend there and and Niebla met with like Francona and Antonetti and others and their message to him was like look we know a lot of the discussions we've had, especially like Francona and Niebla, because they don't see each other a whole lot. Niebla was doing a lot of stuff with minor leaguers, going to all the affiliates. And right, like when in, we're talking about this pipeline that they've created. He's a huge reason why. Sure. More to come on that soon. But he, he's he been in the organization 19 years. He's really highly thought of. He's like a pitching guru. And they said the last week of the year, they're like, we need to find a way to keep you happy and, and give you what you want because you've been instrumental in us developing all these pitchers. 
they love Sweeney too. They they poached him from the Phillies a couple years ago. He's a guy who pitched in America. He pitched in Mexico. I think he pitched in Japan. Um, and he's a super interesting guy. More coming on that soon. And they like the way he thinks. He's a younger guy. He's he's able to relate to the way pitchers think in 2019 instead of other coaches who are older and have been around a long time and maybe think about things the way they were in the 80s. And so he just gives them a different perspective. So now Sweeney's the bullpen coach. Diablo is the assistant pitching coach, which is a new kind of role. Um, but it's... That's something you're seeing teams do yeah, more of. Where and they think... Creating it, additional roles on their bench. They think it's just the best way to maximize the spots they have with different perspectives and different approaches and different methods of thought. Now, the, the Able one is interesting. A lot of this is because they don't want to let him go. And he has been such an instrumental part of helping some of these young pitchers grow and develop in the minor leagues. It's one of the reasons why I didn't know if the Indians were ever going to want to change that dynamic because I'm sure they just love having him roving around and helping where is needed um, and being able to contribute on multiple levels, not just one at the highest level. Maybe some of this changes because they have some young pitching coming up to the major leagues now. You know, Before, they had a lot of veteran arms and maybe you don't need as much help, but you know, if they're going to start turning things over to some of these younger guys on a more consistent basis, he can certainly help there. Um, the overflow of information that is present, you need additional people there. And it's not just people that understand it. I mean, that's the first thing, but people that can translate that that's shit. That's the key, yep. Uh, and you need that. You need buy-in from the players. Um, and I think having as many different, diverse voices, and that's why I, I, I know people look at Carl Willis and probably think, oh, well, this guy, he's, he's like what you're talking about, the guy that talks like he, he, he would talk to a pitcher in the 80s. I think Carl Willis has actually done a pretty good job of, of integrating himself with, uh, and I had this conversation with him in spring training last year, and he was talking about how they were using some of uh, the new technology yep. and the benefits of it. Uh, and I think it's important to have somebody like him that is integrating himself into that, but also sees things from a different perspective because you, I, don't, I don't think it's beneficial to just always be thinking one way to have all the voices pulling in the same direction. I think uh, a dissenting voice from someone like Carl Willis that has been around a long time, I think that means a lot to an organization too. So I don't, think, I don't think it should just be one direction, that's it, that's the only thing you can think about in this day and age. It has to be someone that's only focused on the analytics. Those are important though, clearly. And to have people that can translate that to their players is really important. I think they, well, well in the past they have been kind of the the front runners in doing some of that. I think in the past several years, they've lagged behind some other people that have really taken charge in doing that. And I think this is them trying to get back to where they they have been in the past at being a, a, a team that's at the forefront of trying to, to implement the new strategies, the new thoughts, um, be it from looking at the data, looking at Rapsodo, looking at spin efficiency, looking at grips and all the things that a pitching staff and a pitching coach has to do these days. I think they're trying to cover all those bases. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think people look at, they see that Carl Willis has white hair and they're like, Oh, <laughs> he's old. He has nothing valuable to offer. And that's not the case. It's like you said, I mean, you need diversification of thought. You need people. As long as everyone in there is willing to listen to yes. everyone else's voice. And I think that's what Terry Francona has preached the most, most about Carl Willis is that he is so open-minded and that, that helps a lot. Um, 
Because I think there there were, you know, like Trevor Bauer's big criticism of the reason why he and Mickey Callaway clashed was he didn't think Mickey was open-minded enough to what he wanted to do and how he wanted to work to improve his own arsenal. So, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I always come back to, the, like, people ask me, shouldn't they fire Van Berkeley? Shouldn't they fire Carl Willis? Like, stuff like that. And I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, we can see... It's not enough to just look at the results. We can talk to people to find out influence that coaches have had, good or bad. But it's impossible to like put a number on it and say this coach is not doing enough of this and therefore deserves to lose their job. And this person would do it. Like I don't know. Yeah, well, like I can I can look meetings. at the Indians' offense underperforming and say like, okay, like are we still we're really gonna have Van Berkeley for like the eighth? straight season like and and maybe maybe at some point a, a change in voice would have helped there but i i don't know that a replacement would do better i don't i think most of the time it's, it's, so hard it's grasping tell. at straws when that shit happens in the middle yeah. of the season and and there have been cases where there are tangible things like uh, disagreements and and fights and just open not <clears throat> getting along that you have to make a change that that sort of thing happens but then it's like what you're talking about where it's like well the team's underperforming is that all in the coach if it if the team starts to turn it around do you give the coach credit then for jose ramirez he struggled for basically a calendar year but when he had blossomed into a superstar for two and a half three years do you not give credit right did, did he not do anything then but the now funniest he is part to me of- too is everyone's yelling fire van berkeleo like why can't he like jose ramirez has been slumping for nine months and it's like guess what Jose Ramirez works with Victor Rodriguez, the assistant hitting coach. But you don't know his name. You only know Van Berkeleo's <laughs> name, so you say fire Van Berkeleo. And that's my point, is, like, we don't know. Like, we give them too much credit when players exceed, and we Mickey, probably Mickey criti- Calloway is a big... Yeah, uh, and we probably uh, criticize them too much when players underperform. It, it's like... And I'm not saying Van Berkeleo should have tenure, and I'm not saying that Carl Willis is infallible. I'm not saying Terry Francona is infallible. But it's it's really difficult to evaluate, um, and I think I, I think the only thing you can do is just talk to the people who are struggling, sure. talk to the people who are exceeding, talk to people who have been in the organization and who aren't anymore, who have seen what other coaches do, and that's when you get a better idea of of how effective a coach really is. Yeah, I mean, you can look at. I think if you if you want to say guys going elsewhere and blossoming. That that's that how somehow comes back to Ty Van Berkeley. I think that ho- holds more weight than just looking at an offense that's struggling and saying firing the hitting coach because it's it's way too easy to do that, and very rarely does it even make any sort of tangible difference. Um, you know, coaches can try to help players as much po- as possible, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it is on the players to make the adjustments necessary and to settle into a rhythm that is comfortable for them. And sometimes it's just not going to happen, but if you want to say, well, Yandy Diaz went elsewhere and finally grasped hitting the ball in the air. Now, they did try to tell him many, many times over his Indians career to shift his approach to get more balls in the air and drive the ball. He talked about, Yandy himself talked about that in Cleveland on multiple occasions, that it's something he needed to do. He went to Tampa Bay. Maybe it's just the opportunity. Maybe it's some sort of different connection he had with the hitting coaches there. Maybe it's something different. Or maybe it's all just, it just happened. Who knows? 
but you could point to that, and I think that's a or, or maybe uh, Giovanni Urshela going to the Yankees and discovering something new. Uh, if you want to say that those are more of a reason to to criticize a coach, I think that holds a little bit more weight than just the the results of the offense. And and I think this in your struggle to evaluate coaches doesn't just you don't just focus on the assistants. I think the managers are like that too. Evaluating a manager is one of the most fickle hard things to do because so much of of what happens I mean we talk about randomness in the playoffs it's a seven game series randomness on one play and guys that are just talented or not talented that ultimately is what ends up deciding a game very rarely is it something you put only on the manager and what we don't see the biggest part of a manager's job holding a clubhouse together keeping everybody focused and on the same page and pulling in one direction is something that we sort of talk about, but unless we're sitting in the clubhouse and seeing how a team operates, even when we're not supposed to be in there, that's even tough to really get a clear cut answer on. And that's why the Tito evaluation is always going to be difficult. And that's why I think the manager of the year award is, is the dumbest one that exists. Yeah, don't tell Ryan that. Poor <laughs> Ryan Lewis. It's the only award he ever gets to vote on. But he, it, it we just pick the manager who took a team that wasn't expected to be good and ended up being good and we say that that means they did a great job like the Yankees were supposed to be good this year and they were even though they had a bunch of injuries like does that mean Aaron Boone is a good manager or just did what they were yeah. supposed to do or or if a team does that and you recognize the manager and the next year they come back and they're good again was he not he's no good? longer right <laughs> it, it's, always, it's never made sense to me I think the best case, though, for what a coach and or manager in this situation does that is so intangible is you look across the way and see what's happening with the Browns right now with a guy that doesn't have a lot of experience and Freddie Kitchens. And everyone is talking about the biggest problem with with the Browns right now is being undisciplined and all the penalties and all the stuff that really a coach is supposed to keep you focused on. Now, I know it's different sports and it doesn't completely relate, but I feel like most of the time, the criticism of Tito is related to too much bunting or maybe not using the right guy in the eighth inning that you wanted or, you know, sticking with the guy on the mound too long. It's something tactical in a game that can come back on the manager, but also probably is 80% on the player in himself in that position. But I think maybe that that's the best way to, to kind of draw a some sort of comparison between those two and say, look, you know, Freddie Kitchens is struggling with that part of being the coach, which is a huge part of it, whereas Tito has got that down, and they always find a way to power through injuries and still be a winning team, even when they have a lot of adversity thrown their way. I think a couple things. One, the bunting just doesn't make sense because you would think that a front office that is pretty forward-thinking would say, hey, Tito, maybe we could lighten up on the bunting. Um, and some of it is on the players doing it themselves, but that doesn't... Yeah. That doesn't mean that they can't, it can't tell be the players to, to stop. them <laughs> stopped and point out why it is not beneficial to do that. I also think that people always criticize, you know, oh, they don't call up their minor leaguers fast enough because Tito hates playing young guys. And it's like, well, the front office has a much bigger hand in who gets called up and sent down than the manager. It, it's all collaborative. But again, this is this is not Tito saying, like, you cannot call up Oscar Mercado. Like, that's that's joint conversation. And, again, if, if it's going to be a forward-thinking front office and, um, 
you know, it's young, smart guys who are big on analytics and all that, then, you know, you would think that it's not all on Tito. It's, it's kind of what I'm saying. Like, it, but I do think that there are things Tito does that make me wonder, do they need some younger voice in the dugout in some capacity to help with decision-making or, I don't know, just reminding the manager of certain advanced number. Like, he's got his big bulletin board. It's got advanced metrics on it every night, but I don't... I don't. Do you need, like, a 35-year-old smart guy to be in the dugout why, why to say... Why does the age matter? Because I, I think that they need a young, fresh perspective. What is with you and your ageism? <laughs> I'm old now, so I, <laughs> no, but I, I wonder if, I don't know what capacity that would be in. And that's not like, Tito needs Brad Mills, like he can't live without him, so your bench coach is staying the same, sure. I think we all think Saint, of the world of Sandy Alomar, and he's been instrumental in Roberto Perez's success, um, you don't want him going anywhere, everyone thinks Sarbaugh has the intangibles to be a manager one day, um... It's like there, there's no one I would say, like, this person's not doing anything. They should be replaced with someone younger well, who can just comes... shout, stop bunting. <laughs> but... It comes back to what we were talking about with, with Niebla and changes to Sweeney and changes to the coaching staff and having additional voices yeah. in there. And, and it's not just even during a game setting, but it's helping out between games and helping make sure players are prepared. It's The, the job of a manager is so much different now than what it is it was in in years past where it was like, Oh, I'm just going to make this gut decision. Now you have so much data that you have to relay to so many different people that you need those extra bodies, those smart people that, that can, that can certainly help. There are many times that Tito does things that I sit there and I go, there's no way I would do that in his position. But there are the way that I evaluate a manager is I, I essentially because so much of it is just completely random and based on like the time that Otero comes in when they wanted Oliver Perez and he's facing Joey Votto and it's like oh shit what the fuck happened here? Dan Otero is still a cable major league pitcher and there is a chance that he could have just got Joey Votto out, even if it's the worst thing that's ever happened where a guy comes out of the bullpen and you're not expecting. The players still determine what happens, but the <laughs> that I also wouldn't like. In my performance review of Tito at the end of the year, I don't think I'd say, well, you did mishear Carl Willis, or Carl Willis said the wrong nickname, <laughs> and you brought in the wrong... Like, that's that's no. such a fluke. That... It is. But my point is that it's still on the players. Like, Dan Otero could have just got him out, and right. it wouldn't have ultimately mattered. So, the way I evaluate a manager is, I ask myself, would a reasonable person make that sort of move? It might not be exactly what I would have done. But is the move that he made, is it within reason that you would go to this person? Hey, the Nationals bunted like crazy and they won the fucking World <laughs> Series. Uh, and, and the Astros never issued an intentional walk until they get to the playoffs, into the World Series, and they lose! See, they... They, they get, went away from what they that, what, what brought them there. Yeah, that's why they always say, try to stay within myself. That's exactly not right. Not do too much, and they, they went away from that. So, if I can ask myself, would a reasonable person do this, this move... Might not be exactly what I did would have done, but is it within reason that you're bringing this guy in in this situation? And if we're talking about like, I can't believe he brought in his second best reliever instead of his first best reliever. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, but eh, it's still your second best reliever. It's within reason. So that's typically how I evaluate a manager. 
If it's something completely egregious, then yeah, absolutely rip the guy. But if it's something that was reasonable and it didn't work out, then I just kind of chalk that up to that's the way this sport works. And sometimes it doesn't work out. Even when you have a sound process that nobody could argue with, that doesn't guarantee anything. To me, it's learning from mistakes, too. I mean, like, they screwed up the OTOP thing. They haven't done that a second time. That's good, right? Well, thank God. (laughs) Um, And shit. You have Tyler Olson, who they call Oli, so that could get even more complicated. Yeah. Um, Oli, Ollie, O P O T. No, but I like they the bunting thing, and I know everybody says, "Oh, when's the media gonna ask?" I fucking asked about bunting like twelve times this year. <sighs> the only twelve times it was asked about, and it's like it's gotten to a point where like you're not gonna get an answer, and so it, that's one mistake they're not learning from. And some people don't think it's a mistake. I mean, this is a hotly debated topic. So, is is bunting in most cases the reason why you do or do not make the playoffs or win the World Series? Is it that? Now, I I think when it's you I think as it's close as the Indians were though. But I think it's I think it's silly to do it as often as they do. My point is, do we sometimes overblow how much it impacts? Yes, the game that's happening. Absolutely. I mean, we do the same thing with the lineups where we go, oh, I can't believe this guy. he's hitting this guy over this guy. In a one-game setting, it wouldn't matter if you hit Jose Ramirez So, ninth. and that's the thing is, is, is I would – the one thing to me is with the young players, like you need to avoid – what happened a couple years ago where Yandy Diaz needed to confide in Francisco Lindor and Lindor said, okay, let's take this to the manager and let's, let's all talk. Like that can't happen. And you need to put your players in the best position to succeed. I think Terry Francona typically does that. Um, it's They extracted more from the bullpen this year than we ever could have imagined, even once we figured out who the names were going to be in, in that bullpen. Um, I think the way they weathered the storm early in the season and got to a point, like, I think overall Terry Francona did a decent job this year. I, but there were there were too many good things and too many bad things instead of like, like I almost feel like you shouldn't notice the manager. And I, I appreciated the fact that like Mercado came up and I know he kind of like took a couple days to get his feet wet. And then he played every day and he let him go through growing pains and he and, let him hit second in his lineup. Too. Yeah. And I can say that he should not have been hitting second, <laughs> but I, I think he, that's my criticism. He actually trusted a young player too much, but they, they believed in young players this year. And I, we, we heard Mike Chernoff say it like, when they got younger, they got better this season. And that was good because I don't need to go through another year of watching Hanley Ramirez and Carlos Gonzalez trying to figure it out for a few months. And that we've seen in years past that can be a hurdle for this team, whether it's Juan Uribe or uh, Leonis Martin. Um, so it, it's it's learning from mistakes and it's – it's being able to adapt, and I don't know. I don't think this is black and white. I think this is – I think people have – it's interesting. Someone asked me in a chat a few weeks ago the, to evaluate the job Terry Francona did, and I think I said something like – I said, like, on balance, I think he did a good job, and I never would have believed that this team would have won 93 games had I known going into it how – certain things would have played out but there were certain things that happened that like just 
I shake my head at it and I'm like, what are you doing? Oh yeah, for sure. And I went into this thinking that this person was asking that question, thinking that they were going to, they wanted me to rip Terry Francona because there are a lot of people who want the guy fired or want him to completely change his approach. And then there, this guy was like, I completely disagree. I think he was the manager of the year and he was fantastic and we're so lucky to have him and I hope we have him for another hundred years. Like there are people on both far ends of the spectrum. Tito was in there in a false name. Yeah. Well, I wonder if he subscribes to the Athletic. I'm sure he does. Or this podcast. (laughs) Perhaps. With all the bunting that you've screened about, you would think that would have changed by now. Yeah. Well. No, I I don't disagree with you. There are many things that I I look at. I can't. Like, what are you doing? Why do you do this? I also think we get wrapped up and we watch and evaluate and analyze the Indians on a nightly basis. And if we did that with pretty much every team, you you find fan bases that think the same things about their franchise. Like, how many times have you heard, the Indians' medical staff is terrible? Right. Yet, if you talk to anybody around the game, they'll talk about the Indians' Every fan staff. base thinks that their team sucks at evaluating and treating injuries. <laughs> that's and that's one of my favorite Indians things to go, who's pissed, go through someone's yeah, mentions. To any Indians fan who's like, oh, this person's only going to be out for their day-to-day, and then... I'm sure that means that they have to get a limb amputated. That's not Go triple... talk to a Mets fan. <laughs> Go talk to a Yankees it's fan. It's not triple play 99 where you get the little number of days next to his name. and Hey, that's... Or I know, HBD. Back. Yeah. Well, sometimes they do have setbacks. But I also think we don't, we don't a... notice when Terry Francona makes a good move. That's the other thing. Yeah, I think, I think evaluating managers is, is, is one of the worst things that you're tasked with doing. Uh, and so I, I think so much goes beyond anything we'll ever know about that job. None of us having done that job. It's so hard to gauge. I mean, how much credit should Tito get for them winning 93 games? How much blame should he get for them not winning more? I, I don't know. I know that I, that you continuously put that guy in a position where he'll have a, a roster that's full of guys that you never think should do what they do. And he has not had a losing season here yet. I look at, around the game and I see other teams complaining about their managers and doing questionable things. And it's like, and it's not just that. Take a guy like Gabe Kapler in Philadelphia who looked like he was ready to embrace all of the, the advanced stats and different ways of thinking and thinking outside the box and doing all these things that I think a lot of us would like to see from a manager. The thing that he sucked at was putting accountability in his locker room and getting guys on board and believing in just being kind of together as a team and it does seem like that was the issue with them and a big reason why they had to move on from him go ask carlos santana who he'd rather play for <laughs> sure so i think he hasn't smashed up any tvs in the indians club that we know of that is true or thermostats or anything to that effect so i think there's there's an element there where it's like yeah there are managers and i think like one of the best in the game right now is probably kevin cash and we give him a ton of credit for what they've done in tampa bay but even him, it's like, I don't know how much, credit, how much credit do I give him? Was he completely on board with the opener idea from the very start that he had to get talked into it? And I would imagine that's probably the case. He had to get talked into that or at least explained why they wanted to go that direction. And then credit to him for thinking that that was the best thing for their team. And as we've talked about in past episodes with, with like the Nationals, knowing your squad and adapting to what's going to get the most out of those guys and Kevin Cash has done a tremendous job of doing that and then just kind of letting that trickle down to the players so that they believe in that as well um and he learned from Terry Francona so it's 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 almost impossible we could sit here and just nitpick all the things that we don't like but I feel like we'd be missing probably 90 percent of the job that that manager does 
Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's it's really hard to evaluate. And you're right. We do we get caught in our own little bubble, and it makes it tough to to know what's it like on the other side. Is the grass always greener? Would another manager or coach have just as much success? Not as much success? Yeah. I mean, you you can't know until you put them in that position. And I I make it a frequent point to go through and and pull out other teams. Other, what are you showing me? I'm letting you pick a random idiot. Ah, um, as I'm talking, well, I can't do two things at once. I didn't Shoe think you were going to say this well. out, out loud, but uh, come on, we pull back the curtain on this podcast. Um, the point is, I, I, I think you want a coaching staff that has as many viewpoints as possible. Exactly, and that covers everything. You don't want anything to fall through the cracks, and at least on the pitching side of things, I think I think they're going to be really well equipped this year. And, you know, it'll be nice when they've done a good job. I know I've teased this like crazy, but I am writing in detail on this at setting up a system so that when Aaron Savali gets promoted from double A AA to triple A, it's he's not a surprise. They all know him and know what his strengths and weaknesses are. And when he gets promoted from triple A to the majors, it's the same thing. But now you have Niebla there. There's even less unknown he knows everybody in the organization. You have Sweeney there who can translate the data and what it means. You're pretty well equipped. Now, will that mean that they bunt less in 2020? I don't know. I, I sure hope so. If there was only just a little tab that I could pull all the way over to the never category and make that possible, that would be uh, beneficial for all of us. All right, I'm going to be. Uh, I'm gonna take this actually pretty easy on you. Even though I... Pulled up Jason Raker's last podcast. Yeah. Um, so this former Indian had a career war of nine in Major League Baseball. That's pretty good. So not bad. He made his Major League debut with the Indians in 1999. Major League debut at the age of 27. It took him until 27 to actually make the Major Leagues. But he ended up playing parts of 10, season in, 10 seasons in the Majors. He spent 99, 2000, and 2001 with the Indians. Played in a total of 75 games for the Indians. Hit 242 with a 292 on base percentage, 309 slugging percentage. That's a 601 OPS. He also stole 12 bags for the Indians. What position did he play? Outfield. Part, so, I, wait, what? How did he last 10 seasons if he couldn't hit and didn't debut until 27? Well, over his career, he actually had a 708 OPS. Hit 266 over his career with a 342 on base percentage. And he stole quite a few bags, including one big one in his career. Dave Roberts. It's Dave Roberts. I was going to say Bruce Avon. <laughs> that would have been a good guess. Uh, I figured I would take it easier on you, especially when I gave you the stolen base clue. But yeah. Uh, I'd for- I mean, I knew it had taken him a long time to come up. But I forgot he was 27 when he debuted, and then he went on to have an actual decent career. So I'm saying this just because I know this bothers you, and we've talked about it before. Whenever Kenny Lofton got a day off, whether it was Wayne Kirby or Dave Roberts, they always hit leadoff, <laughs> even though they were not – they shouldn't have. They should have been hitting ninth. What did I just tell you, though? In a one-game situation, it really doesn't matter. The batting order doesn't matter. It's just guys yeah. getting to the plate. Yeah, but – 
between from one to nine, that that is. How many times did you have to see Mike Freeman hit a three-run home run before you realized all of this <laughs> shit doesn't matter? True. <laughs> all I can't believe he's matter. hitting. Whoa! <laughs> that is crazy. Another Tito criticism is why the hell did Ryan Flaherty play so much in September? Uh, that yeah, there's some. There was something there that didn't quite. That goes to the not knowing everything box for me. Right. It's like, you know, there's something that you can't quite put your finger on. It has to be something that we do not quite know as of yet. Uh, the complete reasoning for. But yeah, Dave Roberts. I figured we were talking managers. We would talk current manager. Born in Japan. And getting criticized like crazy for his uh, decisions in the playoffs. Would a reasonable person have gone to Clayton Kershaw when he did? Probably. Is Garrett Cole still sitting in the Astros bullpen? <laughs> so he walked. I made a point to look on the broadcast. They actually did catch him walking off the field. It's like, oh, he finally got to leave the bullpen after the game was over. I did not Is have that a worse than Zach Britton. No, I think Zach Britton was much much worse. Okay. Because you I, you I went agree. to you went to Harris, and Harris is actually a pretty good. I mean, right. damn good reliever. I had no problem with going to him with guy with traffic on base. And Tito has talked about this all the time. If you're going to go, uh, maybe bring a starter out that hasn't done a lot of relief work. You want to get rid of the. You want to have a clean inning. Clean inning, yeah. And so you bring a guy then that is used to cleaning up messes like Harris, and he's a very good reliever. I don't think there was anything wrong. And by the way, the pitch that Kendrick hit for the home run off the foul pole. It was a perfect pitch. It was a good pitch. Yeah. What's the deal with perfect pitches? Uh, and I think you give a lot of credit to Kendrick. The biggest issue I have is when he went to Osuna, then he stuck with Osuna too long. I would have went to Agreed. Cole after that. Yep. Uh, but still, you're talking about, and personal feelings aside for Roberto Osuna, good pitcher. So it's like you you still went to good people as far as their talent level. Uh, so, I mean, you can rip A.J. Hinch today. Maybe tomorrow, every manager sucks. The offseason. It's probably the reality here. Well, they're all just flying by the seat of their pants. Why do teams need managers? What about player managers? Lou Boudreau made all the right calls in 1948. That's how they can keep Lindor. Let's make him the player manager. Ah. Or maybe they just put it out to Twitter. Let's put a poll out there. Interesting. Who would you like to see enter the eighth inning? Vote now. Use the hashtag, masked reliever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my wife and I have become obsessed with that show this my wife, season. My wife is really upset that the World Series kept pushing that. We, we were kind of pissed. Game seven interfered. <laughs> I figured one out like instantly. I was so proud. More proud of that than Which anything one? else. Why well, he hasn't been revealed yet. But I know for but sure. But how do you know? I not... know for sure who it is. How do you know for he sure? He fits every clue okay. and I recognize the voice. Okay, cool. Well, I can't wait to see Dwayne Wade or whoever you think. I'll reveal it on a future podcast. <laughs> what, after it's been revealed? Yeah. Can't, no spoilers. You can tell people it's a spoiler alert. No. All right. Well, until next time, we'll consider that making that a game show. The master reliever comes out, pitches an inning, and then you try to guess who it was. That'd actually be really cool. <laughs> I would also like to see any reliever come out with like, a oh, huge That looked master. like Zach Granke's curveball. <laughs> As they're pitching in a giant unicorn outfit. <laughs> uh, until next time, have a good week, everybody. We are out. See you. The Selby is Godcast, featuring Zach Meisel and TJ Zuppi, is presented by our supporters at Anchor. 
To help support the podcast, visit anchor.fm slash Godcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we sure hope you do, be sure to leave us a five-star review. And if you have suggestions, drop us a DM on Twitter at Godcast. Thanks for listening.